Um, hi guys, welcome back to Stargirl, it's Emma. Um, today is Monday, June 19th, 2023. Um, long time no see. <laughs> um, we will get into it at a later date, but uh, yeah, a whole lot of drama between me, myself, and I, and I'm happy to be back. <laughs> I hope you guys are all doing well. Um, and it's really officially summer now. I feel it in the air, at least in New York, um, after kind of jagged entry into the season. Um, I think I think the spirit has, has fully arrived to stay now. So I'm pumped. I'm actually going to the beach today. Um, you guys know I'm a total sun worshiper. Um, which is kind of random why I live here, <laughs> considering that fact. But um, I am, um, I do try to go to the beach um, as much as I can every summer. So I'm excited to to ring it in today. Um, okay, well, today we're going to be talking about Caroline Calloway and um, kind of random because she's not someone that I think I have that much to say about, but I think that she is a kind of foundational star girl model. And so I think she's like actually kind of a really useful figure for the, like for the space that we're working in. (laughs) And it also happens to be perfect timing because she's getting, um, there's all this like press about her because scammer, her book, which we'll talk about is, um, actually coming out now. So, um, the first reviews have trickled in. So anyways, um, there's been some new, um, some new literature on her that we can discuss. Um, but anyways, let's jump into the star girl news. There's so much to cover between now and when was the last time I recorded? Like, so sad, like March can't get through all of it. So let me think of what's what are the top of mind pieces? Um, actually, number one is that Tinks's book came out about a month ago now. Um, it's called The Shift. Oh, shoot. You know what? It has a long title and I don't have it next to me. What's it called? It's like, oh, The Shift. Change your perspective, not yourself. Um, yeah, so I read it and have some thoughts, um, but it's a New York Times bestseller. So congratulations to Tinks. Really awesome for her that she made it happen. Um And so I actually feel like I could do a part two episode on tanks because, um, she posts so much and they're like, like the chapters of her life are really, really short and move really quickly. So there's like always kind of a development, I guess. Um, what was my point there? Oh, I guess just like Tinks has proved herself to be a more interesting star girl character than I would have originally predicted. Like, last year when I did the episode on her or just in general as a, you know, longtime follower of hers. Um, and Tinks is kind of interesting to me because I don't agree with a lot of the things that she says, but I respect her and am rooting for her. Um, like there's just some, some fundamental things that I clearly just like instinct differences or something like even that, um, the subtitle of her book, Change Your Perspective, Not Yourself, that actually kind of encapsulates a lot of what I disagree with about her, which is I think she's um, very, she's very invested in these kind of adaptive reframes, if you will, which like, again, like adaptive, that's like good survival kind of mechanism to have. But I think I read a lot of her reframes or her shifts as like kind of self delusion or something. And, um, I feel like my, 
my answer to feelings that I have a problem in my life or like I'm stuck or things aren't going the way I want, whatever, is to change myself, not my perspective. I would rather like change like the bones of like my behavior or time spent or whatever than doing a mental reframe. So yeah, I don't know. I guess there's usually a lot of ways that I don't like totally relate to Tinks's advice. Um, and I think she can be a little bit like self-protective or something. Um, anyways, I mean, there was also just a lot of aesthetic differences. I don't think she and I share the same idea of what sexy is, but that's fine. Um, but anyways, okay. So back to her book. So her book is like, um, part memoir, part like self-help basically. And even the way that it's, um, like printed on the page, there's like, you know, every maybe page and a half or so there's kind of this like summary inset blurb that's like the shift. And it like says like the, the before and after of the like mental shift that you should make to like set yourself up for success. Um, and so it almost has this kind of like workbook feel in a way. Like um, there's not actually like space to like write in or like leave yourself notes or something. But um, I don't know if you guys know the artist's way. I'm like a huge, huge fan of this book. I've done it multiple times. Um, but it kind of has that sort of feel where it's like, okay, this is kind of a, um, a playbook for how to hack your brain into feeling more confident. I actually think Tinks would love the artist's way. I think she should definitely do it. <laughs> um, so I don't know if I have that much more to say about her book, but I think it's, it was a good, you know, it's good to support our girl. Um, but I have therefore been thinking about her a lot more. I was thinking about, I forget how like out of control she can seem sometimes. Like I was listening to her podcast last week and it just, I'll, shared this anecdote anecdote that made me think like oh Tinks has kind of a very watchable pathology in a way and this kind of ties into the the Caroline Calloway today um actually the more I was putting together this episode the like themes about Caroline were reminding me the most of were Tinks and Julia Fox which is like so unexpected to me but um I'll get into why they they all feel similar types of star girls to me in a second um but anyways back to Tinks and her watchable pathology like I think just like her emotions are all over the place and so and, and that's surprising because she's in these kind of sterile environments all the time like we don't see Tinks doing drugs we I guess we see her hungover but like it's always in this like you know set active matching set iced coffee like hot girl walk situation which is just never it just can't ever be that messy or that foreign feeling you know so um her splaying her emotional range is surprising and there's actually some like kind of cool narrative tension there um as opposed to like other people who are like you know self-describing as like feral all the time and it's kind of like you know it's, it just doesn't take us by surprise basically so to get to the actual point you know, on her podcast she was talking about when she had been in New York and she went to lunch and found out at that lunch that someone who has cancer who she met through the Make-A-Wish Foundation Tinks got the call that you know she was going to pass and then she started like crying and was really upset and then some women who are also at the restaurant who are fans of Tinks's came up and like said hi and Tinks like, you know, did a greeting or whatever. And then they left the restaurant and then she was like immediately overcome by this sense of shame that she hadn't been warm and friendly enough. And that caused her so much stress that she ran out of the restaurant to find them and like explained what was going on with this um, girl from the Make-A-Wish Foundation and like explained the whole thing. And she was like crying and then they were all like wrapped up in a big hug and like 
processing it and like smoothing over whatever her like Tinks is less than warm and friendly previous greeting had been. Anyways, so I was just thinking about this. I don't know. It's just very interesting because Tinks has like, you know, she talks about herself as being very, very sensitive and we see that play out. And I think that we like feel for her and um, just, you know, we're very endeared toward her because of that. But, and this is just kind of an an interesting cross-section of like big feelings and intense anxiety slash self-awareness. So she's like having these massive feelings of getting this news that is obviously really horrific. And she doesn't lose the self-awareness of how people are perceiving her. I don't know, kind of just indulging, and I don't necessarily even mean that negatively, but indulging both of those things at once lead to this really, truly chaotic behavior, which is publicly mourning this information that you've just received about someone that you care for and getting immediately paranoid that you're not being perceived in the way that you would like. I don't know. It's just like, it just is very strange. And I think that that is (laughs) to put on my intersection of culture and technology hat. This is kind of a symptom of, you know, the world in which we live where like we are like always kind of self voyeuring. Right. Um, and in general, like that's not something we want for ourselves, right? We don't want to like have our self awareness override our experience duh but when you zoom out just a little bit even though it's understandable it does feel kind of pathological right so um anyways but I think that works in Tinks's favor because we're kind of like whoa 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 you know so anyways um that's what I was thinking about <laughs> um okay so moving on um are you guys watching the idol it's not Star Girl news, but um, yeah, I actually am like pretty down with the show. I doesn't really bother me that much. I mean, last night's episode, episode three, was not my fave, but um, yeah, I think that the main reason I'm really drawn to it is just because I love performance shows. You know, <laughs> like um, like Dream Girls is like one of my favorite shows, favorite movies of all time. Um, doesn't matter. But so yeah, so I love all of the scenes where they're like rehearsing the dance numbers and do and like the whole extended scene of the music video shoot. I love so much. So um, just fun. And also like I, you guys know that I have like a deep belief in pop culture and I'm very, I like watching what reaches mass audiences right well this is what I'm talking about all the time with Stargirl like maximum artistry maximum impact I'm not saying the idol is sitting at this spot but I like when the pendulum of culture is like swinging toward like favoring pop culture and mass culture and looking at it critically positive you know like I like that space I think um I like big budget shit and seeing what people can do with it and so in general I feel like uh, this is an exciting time for me, right? Because we're back in like stadium concert era with Taylor Swift and Beyonce. And there's just like a bunch of big stadium concerts. Oh, speaking of that, I just got tickets to see Blackpink this summer. I'm like so pumped. So, um, oh, oh, the other thing is that this idol has kicked up, um, Addison's unreleased pop songs that came out last summer. I'm seeing like a huge, huge revitalization of people using her songs as sounds on TikTok and just like discussing kind of Addison's big snub last year. It's just funny, like the 
you know, the vibe and the whole production of that main song in the idol was it world class center or whatever is like so similar but worse <laughs> to all of Addison's songs last year. So anyways, I was just keeping an eye on her as always. Um and actually she has some some things that have come up in the past two months. One, she went to Dashwood Books. But anyways, the shop woman that works there, Miwa, who is like total local hero, um, had she's always she posts roundups of like my favorite Dashwood friends of the day of like people that stop by the bookstore. This is a bookstore in um, it's like a photo bookstore in on Bond Street. And Addison went and she was photographed there with Elmer and she looked. Yeah, it was like kind of a moment but um and then like a couple weeks later she pushed on her story that she had was wearing sc 103 which i have a personal interest in because michaela wrote a profile of those girls but yeah i'm like and this is like not out of line with the like slow and steady march of addison's like underground transformation but um every time she's in new york i'm like wait lol what are you (laughs) what are you doing (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I like wish that I had run into her. Um, okay. What else is going on? Okay. Well, Gia is pregnant again. Her pregnancy announcement was like her at a protest. And this is a good, like, these are good moments in time for us to look at. If you remember her first pregnancy announcement was like a photo of her cleavage and a, followed by like a, a screenshot of a group text with her best friends. And she was like, LOO, my boobs grew. And they're like, oh yeah, they did. Are you pregnant? And she's like, yeah, I'm pregnant. And then like fast forward three years or whatever. And it's like her at a protest making kind of like a, I think the joke is like, what will come first? Like fair wages or this baby or something like to that effect. So, um, we see the evolution of her vibes. And also Gia is now a brunette. She made the psychological choice to become a brunette at least because her hair is still pretty honey colored, but it is darker slightly anyways. But she made a post saying that she has retired her, her blonde hat. So I'm like, maybe she heard my episode and she realized she wanted to be on the right side of history. I'm kidding. Um, I don't have any more itemized Sarah girl news, but maybe I can just say who's interesting to me and who's boring to me. Who's boring to me of late? Julia. But Julia had kind of already been boring, already been boring to me because it was kind of just like the vibes were just the same every time. And so like nothing was more outrageous than the last, even when it was positioned as such. So whatever. Um, hate to say but Sydney's kind of boring me lately and not because I'm annoyed with her but I'm just like nothing is totally making me want to talk about her um I mean it was really cute all those photos of her like at the zoo with her co-star in that rom-com she's doing the guy who's in Top Gun that blonde dude um who's interesting to me well I already said Tanks is more interesting to me what else is interesting to me RFK Jr. on Rogan not star girl news but actually you guys should listen to that if you haven't already if nothing else then kind of as homework because it comes into play with the episode that i'm recording next week um so anyways but okay let me think um oh well you know what it was actually a surprise is alex earl's reign has extended farther than i predicted i remember when i when i recorded her episode in march i was like i think her reign has already ended like people already 
over for her, failing to realize the amount of like press and play she was about to get. So when I saw her interview magazine shoot, this was the thing that I was most excited about because I'm like, well, 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 like Mel Ottenberg, who's crawling back to the basic bitches. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, you guys know I love her. I think she's just such a good time. Um, and she graduated college, so congratulations to her. I'm actually fine with Emrata right now. She's really not annoying me. Mostly because I'm, like, sickly in love with her child, and I'm just like... <laughs> Anyways. Um, okay. Well, I think that's it for the Stargirl news. Sweet. Let's keep the train moving. Um... Before we get to Caroline specifically, I wanted to do a quick kind of recap on what is a star girl, etc. So, baseline definition: a girl who stands out, right? Um, she's a girl who generates conversation. This is very key. So it's not just somebody who is uh, who feels special in some way, but someone who triggers a response that actually gets people to talk about them, right? So easy way to think of it is like one of one versus one of many. So there's something like unique, captivating, infuriating about her um, that again moves people to to talk about her. Um, so yeah, it's like. Just kind of evoking this love-hate response. I always talk about like someone who represents a dream and a threat at once. Um, and that is, um, you know, it's a, it's a timeless form, honestly. <laughs> um, a star girl. It is absolutely not symptomatic of our modern era. Um, and I feel like that's what makes it so exciting is that um, not only at any point in history, but kind of an, at any tier of culture, whether it's mega pop stars or D-list actresses or chicks on Twitter or girls you know, star girls are all around us. <laughs> and so I think it's very exciting to, to identify these characters and um, examine within yourself what is evoking such a response? <laughs> um, okay. Uh, anyways, I wanted to do that rundown because I have a new element to the definition, which I've been thinking about re- lately, and that is that star girls have a deep sense of their own destiny. So this is coming up because I am reading The Transit of Venus. It's a novel by Shirley Hazard. It came out in 1980, I believe. This is like the recommendation of the year, if not the decade for me. I feel like when I opened this book, I was like, I cannot believe that I have never read this book before. This is like, if I closed my eyes and like imagined a world I wanted populated, it would be this book. It's like so, so, so good and beautiful and lush. Anyways, a huge theme in it is this idea of fate, right? And it's, um, okay, I'm not going to do like the full literary analysis of it, but the way that fate works on multiple levels on like an astrological level with literally the transit of Venus to um, all of the interactions and behaviors among the characters. It's this kind of idea that it's like predestined and things are just playing out. Anyways, back to Stargirl and a sense of destiny. So Stargirl is somebody who deeply believes in themselves, not for their ability, but for their predestined fate, right? And so I think this is such a big piece of what makes them infuriating because 
like they believe that they're like a major fateful character, right? They're like believing themselves as a an energy and a character like almost like among the Greek gods or something, right? We talk about self-mythology a lot and this kind of directly feeds into that. There's this idea within Stargirls of their own innate power and that is something that is really threatening. And it's something that we want to call a lot of other things um, like abandon, privilege, naivete, stupidity, self-obsession, narcissism, desperation. Yes, and it is really a deep belief in their destiny. Um, one thing that that we can add to the list of why of what makes them so magnetic slash infuriating is their belief in themselves as special and as great and as essential in the forces of nature and energy that are like helping the world to spin madly on, you know? So um, Caroline Calloway absolutely exhibits this behavior specifically and is kind of what made me think of it. Um, you know, actually in in one of the pieces I'm going to discuss today that was just in Vanity Fair by Lilia Nolik, um, she talks about Caroline believing in herself as the heroine of a great drama, right? So that's kind of, that's exactly what I'm talking about, I guess. Um, so just wanted to bring that up and let's let's keep that in mind. And I think if we look back at like any of the star girls, like it's it's absolutely true of them. If we look at like Grimes, Julia Fox, Tinks, even Sydney, someone who is such a little hustler, is so like from an, you know, from a from childhood, we always hear she like knew that she was meant to be an actress, right? And she like made that happen. Um okay. Um the Next thing I wanted to rehash about Stargirl is to revisit Stargirl versus It Girl. Um, the big trigger for this is the the It Girl spread in the New York Magazine that came out in April. Um, I'm going to discuss that entire spread in more detail later because it relates more directly to a future subject, though Caroline Calloway actually also did make it in the spread. So congrats to her. Um but yeah, and I'm not trying to make this like a whole, a big, like fake semantic argument, but Stargirl is different than It Girl in my conception of it. So, well, I think like It Girl is not triggering this love hate response um, in the same way. Some It Girls do, but not all, at least as defined by New York Magazine. Like a lot of those girls that are like in there, like the inflation of It Girl moment, it's like not in not people who are necessarily controversial at all. So maybe one way we can look at this is to look at like who is a star girl versus who is an it girl. And we've looked at a lot of star girl versus not star girl, but the not was like people that are like irrelevant or a loser or like annoying, you know, um, when, so I feel like we were looking at like extremes or just like a, a one of many type of vibe. But let's look at people where the not is still awesome and amazing and has a lot of like one of one qualities and attention on her, but isn't quite into the star fucked slash amazing area. Okay, so let's look at some knots. Um, Jenna Ortega is not a star girl, potentially an it girl, right? She's having this enormous press moment after her portrayal of Wednesday Adams, but it's not triggering this response where people feel angry at her, feel like she doesn't deserve it, feel like they want to pick her apart. Like there's just nothing that is innately threatening enough about her to make people upset, even as there's a ton of um, publicity about her, right? Olivia Rodrigo is not a star girl. She is 
beloved. She had a huge moment in the spotlight. I think she's not someone that people really dislike, you know? So, um, and I also just think there's something about her that isn't commanding of space. Um, she doesn't seem like she's like announcing her presence when she walks in. And so, um, I don't think that there's, yeah, there's just not like enough heft to her presence. Um, okay. Who else is not a star girl? Um, Alexa Demi is not a star girl. This is one that really pains me to say because I'm like really obsessed with her. As you guys know, I think she's like so unbelievably beautiful and just cute and sexy all at once. And just like, yeah. And I loved, especially first season, Maddie and Euphoria. I was so obsessed with her vibes. Um, but I don't see Alexa like, uh, I mean, she definitely seems like tough and scary. And so like in that way, she feels threatening, but it doesn't seem like someone that people are um, crazed over and trying to pick apart really. Um, Margot Robbie is not a star girl. Like she is a very critical character in Hollywood and I'm like adore her, but she doesn't, she, you know, it's like too bland and, you know, Sydney is also someone who is like dull, but if you notice people still talk about her all the time, you know, they kind of like can't help themselves, but to bring up Sydney Sweeney. And, um, so there's something about her clearly that like, she still has that ability to generate conversation, to generate buzz. Um, even as, as we've talked about so many times, her, character as a celebrity is like there's nothing really to grab onto you know she gives us very very little um while also not seeming like withholding and shadowing and like interesting like there's just like what's the thing that always that phrase that always gets passed around like she looks like she got bonked on the head right and so the vacant sex appeal is like something that um really gets people going <laughs> obviously whereas margot robbie someone who is like maybe equally as plain um just doesn't have she's also a, you know a bit older and so I feel like she doesn't there's nothing that feels like overtly sexual about Margot Robbie even as she is like kind of cartoonishly perfect looking um so anyways that's on that um okay Three people I am curious to know if you guys think are star girls or not, which I'm thinking about because of the idol, Lily Rose Depp, Hari Neff, and Rachel Sennett. In my mind, I would say that Rachel Sennett is the only star girl of that and of those three, and the other two are it girls. Um, but I'm open. And and Rachel, I actually think her, her star girl um, reign was like, years ago maybe like the height being 2020 just of her on twitter and instagram like just when she was making her little videos and just like really being so fucking she is so funny um and i think like her or like her career has just changed and there's not as much um i don't find myself like looking up her twitter and wanting to read her tweets anymore um but i think she was definitely a star girl and at the height of that of that Twitter persona. Um, so, okay. So let's jump into Caroline Calloway, the task at hand. Um, K- 
Caroline has come back into the news cycle over the past couple weeks um, because her book, Scammer, which we'll talk about, is out at least press copies and the first reviews slash think pieces are rolling in, um, mostly to pretty high praises about her, the writing itself. Um, yeah, I've read, there's been stuff in like Vanity Fair, Rolling Stone, Glamour, Daily Telegraph, and elsewhere. At the same time, Natalie Beach, her ex-frenemy who published the big expose on her in 2019, we'll talk about that, um, is also coming out with a book and a part of that was just excerpted in the cut last week. So um, a lot of things culminating and a lot of, you know, we're kind of in a new Caroline Calloway press wave. Um Caroline is pretty obviously a star girl, right? She stands out. She absolutely generates conversation. I would argue more than her fair share, but that is interesting in and of itself. And we'll talk about it. Like, uh, she has generated more conversation than she merits, right? Because I don't think that that many people are actually really interested in her character and the evolution of her character. And yet she receives a staggering amount of publicity and like, you know, her name is everywhere a lot. So, but the point is, even as she is increasingly not interesting or surprising, there's somehow either still stuff to say or people searching for something to say about her. So she's generating conversation, whether or not it's like earned, authentic, or interesting. That is interesting in and of itself. Okay, so um, some guiding questions slash themes that we want to take into this essay. Um, into this essay. Into this... <laughs> Ew. Into this. Um, one, the topic of her being uninteresting. So why does anybody care? Um, she, as a character, is kind of, like, grating. And this sounds really mean, but, like, she is kind of charmless, which I find very interesting. Like, I don't totally see what is captivating about her. And so that's a space we can interrogate. Um, and she certainly has this just irritation factor that is kind of addicting in its own right. Like her voice, her melodrama, her lack of range of like, uh, what's the right word? Like everything's at an a hundred, you know, we don't really get the like ups and downs. It's just like, everything is like blaring red, enormous caption, like crazy town, you know? So um, that's one thing. Um, something I was thinking about is like, you know, broad strokes, we follow people for either like consistency or to be surprised and wowed, right? She's definitely in the latter category, but like, I don't know if we felt legitimately surprised by her in a long time. It's kind of, you know, this is one reason she was seeming related to Julia Fox for me, where it's kind of just like hitting the same button and getting the same response kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so maybe we just had to like close the loop with her. Um, but it definitely does give the feeling of like her trying to just extend her reign. Again, Julia Fox is someone who I think is always trying to extend her reign without having the awareness that like we are ready for something different. Not that she can't be herself, whatever, but like, you know what I mean? Being her, being yourself doesn't necessarily mean that people will be interested in that self, you know? Okay, well, this actually leads me into my my second kind of category of things to think about, which is the topic of performance art, which has come up several times on Stargirl. I think it's like kind of hand in hand into these like highly performative, uh, like, ob you know, obnoxious people that we discuss on this show. 
Um, um, I feel like in general, I think of labeling your behavior as performance art is just kind of a cop out. And it's not that I am against persona crafting. In fact, I like have huge admiration for successful execution of persona. And I also have great uh, awareness and appreciation for like living an artful life. But there's something about like slapping performance art on your behavior that just makes it feel automatically less interesting and less artful. Um, maybe it's just a lazy phrase that we use and I shouldn't be that upset by it. But I feel like there's this tendency to almost feign in narrative nonfiction, like what's the deal with her? Like, you know, and it's, and then be like, oh, like she's doing performance art. Actually, Lily says this in, in her piece on Caroline Calloway. She's like, oh, she's, she, it's like perf- a performance artist take on a writer. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. Not that I don't think that could be true, but it just feels lazy to me or something. So um, anyways, performance art, that's a section. Um, then the, the third bucket is narrative tension and control and how Caroline plays with it and is successful or not. Um, I think of Caroline as someone who is very consciously crafting chaos as her persona. and um, But you can tell beneath it like that she is a control freak, but just kind of like not a very successful one, I guess. Like she can never let anything just speak for itself. She always has to chime in, rehash, re explain um and you know she's so kind of messy and like doesn't dot her eyes or cross her t's and you know she always says like that like uh what's it like um typos are part of the brand or whatever um but i think the the either crafted chaos or the narrating the chaos is like makes it feel less chaotic and less interesting um so yeah i and i and like just in general, I think of Caroline as someone who like absolutely doesn't know how to keep the tension. This kind of relates to the like it's always at a hundred thing I said before, um, because it's kind of just I never feel like I'm craving hearing from her. <laughs> if that makes sense, <laughs> like she's easy to kind of just get sick of, and then like she's suddenly like posting again, and then it's like oh okay, okay. So yeah, that's. Th- those are the themes that we're working with. Um, I'm going to do just a very quick overview of her bio. One, because I think that literally any piece on her like redoes the entire timeline and that's just going to be like a, a better source to go to for this. Um, but for those who don't know, so um, Caroline Calloway, she is fit into this scam artist or scammer cultural narrative of the late 2010s. So if you think of people like Anna Delvey, Billy McFarland, Elizabeth Holmes, um, and there's actually a chapter on on this phenomenon, if you will, in Trick Mirror, Gia's book, and there's so many articles about this lineage. This whole phenomenon moment of scammers like I feel like was kind of like it was a pattern that only journalists were observing right and kind of like packaged to us like I well also I was just like not paying attention um like I feel like 2018 when I moved to New York is like when I came online I don't mean online like on the internet but like mentally online 
I don't even know what I was doing for like <laughs> everything before then. Um, but this is when I started paying attention. Anyways, and so so there could be a, that, a bit of that at play. But I was also like, when I remember reading Trick Mirror, so I guess that came out in 2019, and reading The Scammer. And I was like, is this a vibe? Is this going on? So my point is that the cultural narrative about like we are living in the scammer moment is like, it was like a hot topic in culture publications for a while, which isn't whatever. Anyways, so um, to go over her life. So she was born Caroline Gottschall in Falls Church, Virginia. We actually share a birthday, though she's a couple years older than me, um, December 5th. <laughs> she changed her last name to Calloway, I believe sometime in high school, because she thought it would look better on books, right? So this is back to the like idea of her destiny. She always had this deep belief in herself as being successful, being a central character, being a magnetizing force, right? Um, so she went to NYU, um, and this is where she met Natalie Beach, who comes up later. So just keep that name in your mind. Um, but she never wanted to go to or graduate from NYU. And she kept applying to Cambridge. She got accepted on her third time application. And this was she was already like well into her time at NYU. So she dropped out, moved to Cambridge, and it took her like several extra years. I think she had just I think you have to start over if you transfer to Cambridge. And fact check me on that. But and Cambridge really became her first kind of persona slash brand um so she was a very early instagram adopter and power user she bought a ton of followers in 2013 which is a detail that is like well known now but at the time like it took a while for her to admit that um so she's kind of like early lifestyle influencer in a way um she chronicled all of her life at cambridge and earned the nickname the gatsby of cambridge or so we're told for all of these lavish parties that she would throw she would travel all around europe and post these like long extended captions about her you know the the trials and tribulations of caroline calloway a princess slash nymph like young girl american girl in england who's like gallivanting around europe right um so it was very like it seems so innocent, like that character now, but obviously there was some threat baked in even at that time. It was later revealed that Natalie Beach, who I mentioned before, who she had met at NYU, was ghostwriting her captions and working intensely with her to craft this um, public-facing persona of, of Caroline Calloway on Instagram. We'll get into that in a second. Um, but her her Instagram was very, very successful. And again, remember, this is early Instagram before brands were capitalizing on the space of Instagram, before this was an ad space, before we really had influencers as a mixed down profession. Um, so that was the space that she was working in. She sold a book to Flatiron in 2016 that was to be called And We Were Like, which was going to be based on her, the experiences that she chronicled on her Instagram. So it's like her at her at Cambridge and every all the craziness that was going on there. She had hired Natalie at this time to co-write the proposal. And I believe the plan was for her to co-write the book as well. Um, Caroline said that it was a $500,000 book deal. Uh, Flatiron later announced that no, it was three seventy five. Okay, so we're starting to see kind of the cracks in the facade. Um, but the advance for the book was a hundred k, and this is Caroline's like first brush with real trouble. She withdrew from the contract at a certain point, and so had to pay the advance back. So she was in debt, and debt will become a major theme, and I believe kind of like driving 
force for everything that follows from this. So um, the other thing going on at this time that was later revealed was that she was suffering from a massive Adderall addiction. And um, I mean, definitely don't do Adderall. I like I feel like I've never seen anything good come from anybody who abuses that drug. Um, And I am amazed at how much mileage she has gotten out of her Adderall addiction. Like this is clearly a very like captivating theme for people. I don't know. Maybe because, well, I don't don't even want to guess at why. But um, so, and she uses this to explain her behavior, to kind of add to her like manic chaotic persona, to um, attempt to achieve kind of like ex-druggy insider vibes. Um, Whether or not all these things are successful, you know, we can think about but um that is like a huge point that she has really latched onto about her past okay so the book deal fell through the natalie okay she is now in a bunch of debt people who work with her are starting to think that she's a liar right um, okay, in 2018, she announced the series of quote-unquote creativity workshops all over America. Like, I feel like it was like not even $200 for these workshops, but whatever. She was she was selling tickets to them. Turns out she had to cancel them because she had never booked venues for any of them. So again, like scam vibes increasing. Um, and there was all this drama over like whether or not she was going to refund the tickets, whether or not she did, etc. This is the point at which she starts getting compared to other scammers of the time so she's come directly compared to billy mcfarland and everything happening with firefest by this woman kaylee donaldson on twitter and that is the first kind of organic public facing controversy that gets caroline calloway a lot of play um she was really riding the cambridge time with the book deal whatever then she does these creativity workshops there's controversy about that it blows up now her name is is elsewhere right so this is um when i found out about her like i never followed her on instagram in those early days um okay Fast forward a little bit to 2019 when Natalie Beach publishes her full expose um, on The Cut called I Was Caroline Calloway. I'm not going to go into like exhaustive detail about what this is because one, I'm sure everybody has read it and two, you just, if you haven't, you should rather than just hearing me talk about it. But basically this classic tale of like an alpha beta situation and Natalie is talking about not only how she was the ghostwriter behind Caroline's entire Instagram and persona and that she never got credit, but also all of these really terrible interpersonal things that happened between them and how um, Caroline was like, you know, this like magnetic, free-spirited, highly confident blonde girl and Natalie is like this boring, non-striking kind of sad brunette that is, um, you know, the brains behind the whole operation. Um, It makes Caroline look really terrible, but I think everybody agreed immediately. It actually made Natalie look worse, right? So whatever. I'm going to talk about that all, the vibes there and why they were important to me and why they're foundational to Stargirl universe um, in a second. But so following that essay, this is her big, this is her main reign to me. So if you'll allow me to revive our collective consciousness, right? This was when she was living in the West Village um, and there was a ton of footage of her teeny tiny apartment, super cluttered with like paper and paint and clothes and flowers and drapery. And like, you know, she was really just like flexing this 
chaotic, I don't know, I guess artist lifestyle, though it already it always felt so kind of glossy, but it worked and it actually was like a really like beautiful and reliable mise-en-scene for just for her character. She was always wearing like orchids in her hair and her really long blonde hair was like super messy. And I feel like she was always wearing just like sweats and a tiny tank top or like these like long flowy dresses. Um, She started like um, really defining the boundaries of her world or world building, I guess, um, which was very smart and which she did really well. You know, she was like, okay, these are like the Caroline Calloway house colors. I think they were like red, pink, aqua and maybe like off-white or something. I don't know. These are the Caroline Cali emojis, which would be like the oyster emoji and the hibiscus flower emoji and the dove emoji and the, what was the aqua? I can't even remember. But like, the you know, she was really saying like, these are the bounds of my world. This is the aesthetic universe I'm working in, etc. And she was posting constantly. And she was like, everything was these long captions, like divulging other information about her family. Okay, yeah, her dad committed suicide and was found like two days after the, the Natalie Beach essay came out. So that was another huge plot point that like she was bringing to the public's attention. Um I'm trying to think what else happened around this time. I mean, she did the live taping of Red Scare at Bell House. I remember this so vividly when this happened. Um, And she had Anna and Dasha over to her apartment. And there were all those pictures of them, like, smoking cigarettes halfway outside her window. And so it was kind of amazing moment where Caroline Calloway was, like, brought into, you know, New York culture I oh yeah I just I like just pulled it up I knew I had a screenshot of my phone this picture it's her and Dasha outside of Caroline's apartment Caroline's like balancing a glass of red wine on this porch and there's this greenery and this small American flag and she's in rolled sweatshorts and like has her long fluffy hair everywhere and then Dasha is like sitting there in like some like tight jeans like with a button-down shirt tucked in with a belt. Caroline's caption is, New York mean meets Pomeranian enthusiasm. Guess which one is me? Um, I actually remember being very endeared by that sort of thing because I totally, like, identify as, like, a small yapping dog. Anyway, so this this was, there was a lot of, like, more organic-feeling energy around her at this time, I guess. Um, once the pandemic hit, I think that's when we see her fade off in terms of like organic interest, or at least in terms of my organic interest. Um, she moved down to Florida for the pandemic. So she kind of, you know, she was no longer in the New York mix, I guess. This is when she started her OnlyFans. All of it was like her dressing up as like famed heroines from literature. So she was, who was she? She was like Daisy Buchanan. She was Juliet. She was Arwen. She was, um, she was like some Jane Austen characters, right? And she would like do like slutty OnlyFans version of it. Um, It's hard to transport ourselves back to that time. But if you remember, like people were really upset with anyone for you know like LARPing as a sex worker or getting into OnlyFans or whatever when like you were like too privileged to need to right there was like in this intense protection of sex worker vibe in 2020 and I mentioned that because Caroline you know was like a key character in that conversation that was happening at the time and it was like oh you know always finger point at Caroline Calloway as a perfect example of a like privileged white girl that like wants to get into sex work because now it's like cool and she can make money but like you should reserve this space for like the people who actually play in it again I'm like I'm struggling to even like feel the tension of that time but I I do remember it distantly that it was a very like hot and tense conversation 
conversation that was being had. Like now, to, like OnlyFans just feels like like a distant memory. I'm just like, what? Anyways, what was I gonna say? Her. Oh, I was just going to say, but even then, even Caroline's OnlyFans era already felt like her kind of trying to extend the messaging past its its natural life cycle, right? Like it just, it was already just kind of getting like grading and there was not, yeah, there wasn't organically any momentum moving people toward her, but she was just kind of continuing to be more and more outrageous. So it, you know, it was like therefore quote unquote deserving of conversation because she was upping the ante but it was kind of falling flat at least to me um yeah oh and then also at this time she like released her big response to um the natalie essay and it's since been taken down but i remember i read it online and i was like screenshotting every paragraph because i knew that it was gonna go in it she's kind of yeah telling her side of the story of the natalie stuff and then also walking us through all these kind of like horrific details of her adderall addiction of her father's suicide and um you know there's just some really harrowing details in there um, I guess an important point that I should have said before is like Caroline is, has always told us that she's invested in, um, like proving herself as a writer, which I think is interesting because her behavior would kind of lead us to believe otherwise. Um, and I think Caroline is someone who has the difficulty like admitting defeat, you know, anything that happens, she insists that it was like part of her grandmaster plan and like she's you know the puppeteer of everything that kind of goes into the performance art kind of cop-out vibe of it like she'll always be like blah 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 yes like I did that like you guys all thought x but like it was part of the plan you know and I think that's just a little not attractive um where was I going with this oh taken seriously as a writer that's not going to be like a satisfying takeaway from it. Like I think if her, if her book continues to get good, good reviews and if it's good, like I don't think that's going to like change the course of like how she's remembered really. And like I think actually people are maybe too exhausted by her to really have that much investment in whether or not she's <laughs> a good writer in the end. Like I, I don't know, but um, okay. Okay. So that's, that's, the, that's the brief rundown of, of where she is and what she's been up to. She's been in Florida for the past several years. She actually subletted her apartment to Rachel Rabbit White, which is hilarious. Um, another noted star girl, but her book is out. Like hopefully we can get our hands on it at some point. I don't know. I actually did buy it in 2020. Like I have $25 out there to scammer. Um, so, okay. Caroline Calloway, we know slash we know and love slash don't understand the appeal, but we understand that there must be something because otherwise how would she have arrested so much attention for so many years when there's relatively little interesting that's going on? Okay. So how do we fit her into Stargirl world? Um, we can do a couple paradigms first because it's just like fun and easy. Ripe dead. She's obviously ripe. She There is nothing seductive, withholding, shadowy, spiderly about her. She is definitely ripe. She has very round, rosy features. Um, she's very approachable looking. She's very – I actually haven't <laughs> – I was just going to say I haven't checked in on her body in a while, but, which sounds insane, but it is true. But historically, she was she was thin, but still soft feeling. Uh, wait, one thing I wanted to bring up actually is we've talked about like the hot sides of ripe dead, but then there's like gross sides of both as well. So the hot version of ripe is like rosy, soft, cute. And then the the hot side of dead is like shadowy, sultry. The, but the gross side of ripe is like 
gluttonous and like if you think of like overripe fruit right there's this feeling of just like too muchness going on and it's just not attractive so and that can kind of go into desperation as well and the gross side of dead is like brittle to me where it's just like fried frizzled hair and like just not seeming like it's taking care of itself you know so so both ripe and dead the the gross sides of those is kind of like how how the two tend to rot <laughs> like dead rots brittle and like spindly like tree scary and gross and and gross and ripe rots over fleshy and like I'm picturing like a overripe papaya with all of the like flesh and seeds like spilling out and like flies on them. It's like, ew. Anyway, so I just wanted to keep in mind that ripe and dead have gross underbellies as well, um, which is like, you know, critical to the female form. But um, anyways, Caroline's ripe. Okay, sun, star, moon, she's clearly a star. She's zipping around. She's being fucking random. And it's like me, 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 me. Um... So that's that. Um, Okay, so the fluffy sparkly, I would say that she is a fluffy cloud angel. Fluffy, we already talked about, like soft and like messy. Cloud as head in the clouds, definitely not grounded. Definitely, definitely not grounded. And angel, because I think she needs to more be taken care of than to take care of. So that's some paradigms. Um, I mentioned at the beginning that Caroline feels very foundational in this weird way to my organization of the world and the women in it. (laughs) And when I was reflecting on this, I was thinking like actually in some kind of weird ways, like Caroline kicked off Stargirl, not consciously, absolutely not. Like I think really it was like when years later when I was thinking a lot about Grimes, Addison, and Emily Ratajkowski that I started like noticing patterns in what I was drawn to and what I was thinking about. So Caroline definitely came well before that and it was much more simplistic and like you know I wasn't even aware of it this is kind of like the the breadcrumbs thing that that Gia talks about which I'm sure you've all experienced with your creative projects where you know it's not you're not conscious of the connections you're making until you look back and then you're like oh that totally was in line with and led to the development of my thinking okay this is obvious but whatever it's it's, it is always exciting to find those things I think because you're like wow I remember at the time when I was reading the Caroline Calloway and having these all these feelings about it but it just felt oh like I was just wasting my time and blah 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 and then it's like oh no it actually came back to me in spades so um so that was exciting okay so but what was foundational about it was when the Natalie essay came out Randy I talked about the gist of that essay and this like um you know overly simplistic but still powerful um villain victim story right and so yes it is simplistic but it was one of the first times in you know if we can consider that popular culture where I was given this character of a villain and found myself forming a preference for her. I felt a preference for Caroline over Natalie in the specific, but I also felt a preference for popular, confident, splashy girls who people really dislike rather than the people who are like orbiting them and um, feeling like they deserved more. Like I was like, okay, if I'm going to come out as one of these two people, right, there was the BuzzFeed quiz, Caroline or Natalie, and thankfully I got Caroline. Um, I was like, I definitely want to be a Caroline, not a Natalie. And I think that this was an experience that a lot of people had when this article came out it was actually the the cut's most read article of the year that year and I think overly simplistic this or that is the reason for that probably everybody has a gut instinct on if they're a Caroline or a Natalie which is 
you know, very limiting and potentially like hostile to your your development and the nuance of your being and for like feeling confident because you might just hate which one you are. Um, but I think that at the time that I intercepted it for whatever reason, it was almost like a permission grant or not to be a monstrous person, but to say, oh, okay, like some things that I know about myself or have been told about myself, I'm like feel alignment with this character who is very villainized, but I'm, I'm like admitting that I share qualities and I'm choosing to not wish I was a different type, I guess. And um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of insane to c- compare myself to Caroline Calloway because I mean, for so many reasons, but um, yeah, I was also, this was right after I had gone through a big breakup. And so I was kind of in that space of just like like I'm completely floating um like I actually have no idea like how I am perceived or like I I don't even remember what my personality is or like what differentiates me from anybody else because my main definition of self has been my proximity to this other person who now is who I can't speak to you know what I mean like that that whole mental space where it's like wait what is what are even my boundaries of self you know okay but outside of that like ill-fitting self-comparison like I think I just really realized like I don't want to be like a beta character (laughs) and so I want to I want to like surround myself with vibes of confidence and less self-awareness because when I'm seeing it play out in the extremes I would definitely rather be a Caroline than a Natalie I guess like okay this is like all coming back to such simplistic takeaways but I think you guys get it also this this essay when it came out really is a piece of like this larger cultural thing that was happening at the time, which was the kind of like tipping point of the revenge of the nerds era. So, you know, the world was like mega beta in 2019 in so many of its like cultural exports. Um, I'm thinking of things like Booksmart, that the Olivia Wilde's first movie, um, Man Repeller, that entire universe was super Revenge of the Nerds to me. Um, Bernie Sanders, and really the entire DNC at this time, I think was like really giving Revenge of the Nerds energy. Um, Greta Gerwig, Greta Thunberg, like, and I guess you could argue that like this is non-specific to that like 2017 to 2019 era, like that it predated, I guess, like Trump years. And there's like, you know, the entire like hipster revival from like 20 or 2008 on, like if you think like Juno, Napoleon Dynamite, like so many things, like all of like the Twee revival, everything. Um, But I do think that 2019 represented a tipping point for that like nerd centric vibe. You know, we actually might even be able to add as another like pendulum swing of culture, like times when bullies are cool and times when nerds are cool. And like Natalie's essays, it's like the ultimate revenge of the nerds. I've said that phrase so many times, but there's really no, you can't really get around it. And yeah, this was also the time when like main character energy was being talked about a lot. And like Caroline was so insistent about her own main character energy. Um, That obviously gets kind of like cloying and lame pretty quickly, but um, that was another beat. I do think, and I've said this a bunch already, but I think that pretty soon people started to lose interest in Caroline Calloway. Like there just wasn't Um, even as she was upping the ante, every ante that was upped was not like surprising or compelling in a new way. It was kind of just more of the same. And it was so much of her reiterating her own pride and um, uh, how she was like playing everybody. And it just wasn't that, 
it just wasn't that interesting, honestly. And it didn't ever feel like it was really authentically attracting people. It was just, she was so relentless and then media outlets were kind of so desperate to like keep the show going or something. Um, so yeah, it just didn't feel like genuinely grabbing of people's attention, but something must have been really captivating. Otherwise it wouldn't have happened. Um, yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. One other thing I was going to bring up here. I think like a failure of the way that this narrative played out is that the boundaries of it were always unclear. Like we weren't, it wasn't made clear if this was a New York story or a general story. Whereas in like Anna Delvey, that was a New York story, right? Like this, we were very clear of like the spheres of influence and the impact and the characters. Whereas Caroline Calloway, like I think in a lot of ways, she just doesn't really feel like a New York character. And um, she kind of seems like she could be anywhere, you know? And so much of her early stage setting was about her living in Cambridge as uh, as an American. So you know, there's that. And then she was in New York, but she never quite like fit with like the downtown scene. Um, like I did feel like Caroline is like kind of deeply a loner, which I respect, but I do think it makes it difficult for her to like feel like she is emblematic of a time. And instead it kind of just feels like she's this like random trick who was like over and over and over again, asserting her relevance. Um, yeah, and then I also, like, it's it's not clear to me, like, did anybody outside of New York, like, know or care for this specific time after the Natalie Beach essay? Like, just, I'm like, who is her followership? Um, and, and where does she see herself? I mean, for the past few years, she's just been living in Sarasota. Um, like, I think maybe you just have to make that decision or something. Like, Tinks is very clearly in a general story like even though she lives in LA she does a lot of LA content it's not specific to that region and she's not only positioning herself as representative of what it feels like to be there now um she's like casting herself as more of like uh if not timeless just a like placeless character and that you know both have their strengths and weaknesses but I think Caroline like failed to define that for people and so that is kind of a confusing space um I want to zoom out a little bit back to those questions that I posed at the beginning. Back to the uninteresting thing. Like, what is interesting or magnetic about her? I think, like, her at her, or her character at its, like, best and most, um, you know, kind of titillating, I guess, is the way that she is framed in the Natalie story. I think this is like a highly recognizable character of like mean girl, popular girl, blonde girl who like inadvertently, just because she's so self-absorbed, really ends up treating the people around her badly and, you know, kind of, you know, the, the classic idea of like the face of something and giving, you know, all the people underneath not getting any credit for anything. And I actually, I think that's like the, the most interesting that Caroline is, even though it's the most simplistic, is to have her as a stand-in for that character. Interestingly enough, though, like, we have never really seen the character that we're told to fear in that. And I think that that is a huge limitation of her influence because, you know, outside of her initial Instagram 2013 era, which I think very few of us probably were even around for or invested in, the Caroline that has been 
that Caroline that we know has always been like a joke, a sad story, or just like somebody that is not that respectable, I guess. And I don't mean respectable in like a, you know, uh, manners way. Like she's not even respectable as a party girl. She's not respectable as like a chaotic artist. She's not even respectable as an influencer or an internet persona. And so I think that, you know, that sounds kind of like highfalutin and like, oh, we don't respect her capital R. But I think that you need to have a certain degree of respect for these characters to continually make them interesting to you. Because once you, it's kind of the same as like with your like romantic partner, right? It's like when you lose respect for your boyfriend, you can't really care anymore because it's like, but I don't respect you. I find you kind of pathetic and sad you know so um the the tension is lost I guess um and so yeah I feel like Caroline has kind of she like missed the like launch that Natalie teed up for her because she kind of took it in all these other random directions what would have been more successful probably is for her to like stand her ground as the like popular girl that Natalie set her up as um and like for us to see that play out but like she it was just too it was too messy for us to like believe or at least see the character that we were told to fear as I said so Caroline I think kind of failed to capitalize on these factors of privilege or so we're told that make her into a villain um or even like an interesting character like this is so key I think her labor was always so visible like it was so clear how hard she was trying in all of these different ways to like be a part of downtown New York to come off as really villainous and puppeteery and whatever to come off as chaotic to like have all of these different purposefully failed ventures I think about like all of her art and her snake oil and like her it's like she was making like bookmarks at a time and like you know all all of these things that she was like highly self uh she was so self-referential in a way that I was like but is anybody else referencing you like maybe you're in you know like the cover of scammer with that big white orchid on it is going to be like in some like starter pack memes but it's like I don't I think she you know she as I've said a million times was like extending her own messaging in a way that was you know highly watchable for a time but then just like lost its I don't, this is probably the wrong metaphor but what I'm picturing is like remember like at, as a child when in like gym class or something like if you would have one of those huge parachutes and everyone had to hold the like strap in the circle and like fluff it up and then it would make like this dome and then people could run under or whatever bear with me so but then if like too many people like lost tension on it like the whole thing would deflate this is how I feel about Caroline's attention and publicity right it's like there for a while everybody was on board and everyone was holding the like straps of the parachute really tight and it was like this big dome and there was a lot of like tense air underneath it and like that created a stage for her and then it was like people just started being like uh I think I'm like gonna just go get a soda or something you know and then like it all deflated. Okay, stupid. But you guys know what I'm saying? Yeah. We could probably like apply that to every character. And the point is not to scare us and be like, we need to be on guard and like be highly self-aware for when like we start extending our own messaging, like know when it's wrapped up and like exit gracefully. I'm not saying that like this is all part of it. And I think actually maybe now I'm coming to maybe part of her continued allure is seeing how long she can keep trying to hit it home. <laughs> 
it's kind of we all have this like secondhand embarrassment from her continually putting her hat in the ring even as we are maybe you know well here's what it is in general I think we are very threatened by people who put their hat in the ring obviously right the, the people who take the risks and, and so we form all this like jealousy and judgment around them but then she fails at it so it kind of like confirms the like trepidation that we would have around taking those risks and is this making sense so that you know they're kind of there's just multiple layers of that uh what we get to watch with her I guess it's like how many times can it just be like foot in mouth Caroline okay foot in mouth Caroline and it just keeps keeps going even as it like you know I'm like, why am I still wanting to know what she's up to? But actually, that's not even true. I never, ever look her up anymore. But then her name pops up. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, what is she? You know, how is she doing? Okay, you know, and it's never something that I wouldn't have been able to expect. And I think that is really the failure where we were so teed up to like she set the expectations too high that she was going to be this like unbelievably gorgeous, magnetic, confident unable to fail chaotic character and we just have never seen that so we're kind of like waiting for the deliverance and the payoff that we've been you know told that we're waiting for um she would probably say that this is all part of her like grand scammer plan um and I increasingly am not don't totally buy like couldn't buy it because it's like well when you know what I mean like you're clearly just trying to like cover your ass and like get out of debt and like keep, you know, just grasp for relevance or grasp for relevancy, whatever. Um, so, and then I was thinking like, what is she good at, right? We're kind of waiting for this beat to drop to see if like she actually was good, is a good writer. And a, a lot of people say that she is. Um, so whatever. Um, one thing that she's good at is creating her world. I actually think her world building when she was in the West Village was really, really strong. As I said, these are my colors. These are my cats, Matisse. And what was the other one's name? I feel like she only has Matisse. Maybe I missed a beat where her cat died. But anyways, these are my references. This is the aesthetic world I'm working within and inspired by. These are the books I read. Like these are the, like this, this is the Caroline Calloway brand. And, um, you know, that, Back to what I was saying about like, is it, you know, what are the bounds of the world? When she was in the West Village in that apartment, the bounds of the world were very, very clear. Even if they just started and ended within that apartment, I actually think that was more masterful than her trying to integrate herself into New York, which was always kind of felt stilted and awkward or something. Um, But yeah, I do think that she built a highly sensory world visually. Um, Okay, to go to the performance art piece, I guess, you know, a lot of the scammer as performance art discourse centers on the question, is it ethical? That to me misses the more urgent question, which is, is it interesting, right? I've said this a million times, but like, does she continually surprise us? Do we wonder what she's going to do next or can we anticipate it? Um, Already mentioned Julia Fox as someone who I think that the like culture writers talk to as being someone who continually surprises us but at least I feel on the ground like I can always anticipate what she's going to do next um Grimes someone who used to really surprise us now I think we can fairly anticipate although like you I just love Grimes so much that I'm like never like I will always be like rooting for her I feel like um or not even rooting for her because I don't think she has anything left to win or lose but I'm just like I think she has a cute vibe okay like I like her little prancing around energy it's cute to me um okay oh 
other people like what would we think about Dasha I think that's a good one to pose like um because I think she kind of has somehow masterfully evades the performance art question um even though you know for the material on the ground you could argue that that her behavior is performance art but I'm, I'm glad that whatever we'll get to that we'll get to that um like I don't know who else like performance art like Shia LaBeouf I don't want to talk about boys so never just ignore that but um yes it's kind of just like are they good enough storytellers to make their internet performance continually compelling slash do they have this like innate magnetism that plays out for longer and again you know I've talked about short reign long reign like Caroline I think is someone who had a really short but powerful reign, but unfortunately is always trying to extend that reign in ways that feel very obvious and clunky and just not compelling. Um, anyways, let's see. Um, I did want to talk quickly about um, two of the recent pieces that came out about her. One is the Lilia Nolik piece in Vanity Fair, and the other is the excerpt from Natalie's book in the cut. So the Lily piece... Something that was interesting to me about this is the position that Lily puts herself in in the piece, which is very, like, I would say, awestruck and hypnotized by Caroline Calloway. And for some reason, I just, like, didn't really believe it, and probably because I just couldn't divorce from my own thoughts about her. Um, you know, Lily makes a lot of comments in the piece, like, she's ever watchable. She calls her avant-garde. And I'm like, I don't know if I, like, agree with that. I, I don't know. I was just, I was confused and surprised by this, like, awestruck um, lens on, on the Caroline situation. And I think part of that is just like zooming out, thinking about like the meta media narrative and like how the kind of public record narrative line leads, needs to go where it's like, there was all this vitriol and distrust and like, you know, skepticism around Caroline. And now that her book's coming out, it feels like everyone has chosen to kind of like, uh, let her down softly and like, remember Caroline as this, like, I think there's a feeling that this is the last chapter of the Caroline Calloway story and we needed to fully close the loop. Like, I think that that makes sense. I guess I, I agree with that impulse, but I'm, um, interested that Lily at least and it seems like other people are kind of you know pretending that we were always interested in it all along I don't know does that make sense anyways another thing that she says in that article that I thought was interesting is like there's a point where she says Caroline Calloway looks like Edie Sedgwick and thinks like Andy Warhol I don't know if I agree with that if we're gonna call her like masterful artist and muse but like I love whenever I, I see that refrain identifying someone as artist and muse because as you guys know I feel like that is a phenomenon of our era of this drive to do and be done to to be like everyone wants to like be the director and star in their own little thing that they're doing and we have like tools and means to do that anybody who wants to create themselves as a character and be highly in control of that character can do that um and so obviously that's what that essay that I wrote about em about Emily Ratajkowski was about and I think we see this play out in so many um yeah it's just a phenomenon worth like keeping the pulse on and I mean this is what I'm doing with this podcast right it's like okay I want a project and I want to be the I want to both be the the actor in it and the director of it you know and so um yeah these are the times in which we live. I wonder if anyone will ever tell me that I look like Edie Sedgwick and think like Andy Warhol. <laughs> uh, um, anyways. Oh, the one characterization that I do agree with and think was really good um, in Lily's piece was that she calls 
Caroline, this supreme comic screwball ingenue. And I think the comic screwball is the critical piece that I had kind of forgotten about. And what is actually charming about her is that she does kind of have this like slapstick, goofy energy. And like, she's just, she has this cuteness to her and this sprightliness. Um, and I think that that, that was well put, I guess I would want to say. Um, okay. What else? Oh, well, there was this other thing in there, which I've already talked about is kind of the staged chaos, but this is something that Lily brings up multiple times of kind of, you know, this awareness that Caroline is like planting details to like uh, appear, to, to like retain control of the narrative, right? So she talks about how like Caroline had done mushrooms before the interview and then was acting like, oh, I'm too high to answer or whatever. Um, but like that she, that Lily thinks thinks of this as like stage chaos and also just annoying, right? Um, and then like Caroline for the interview is wearing like a button down shirt with no bra and she keeps having these like nip slips and it seems like that's also something planted to again feed into the quote unquote chaotic uh, persona of her. So Anyways, um, actually, I decided that I don't have anything to say about the Natalie excerpt. <laughs> Other than these, actually, I have one quick thing to say. Two things that she says that are like, make me feel like back to my original vibe of like, deaf want to be Caroline, not a Natalie. And that is one. She says, my betrayal of Caroline feels inevitable. That's so sad. Like, it's back to the destiny fate point. If, if you feel a sense of destiny and that destiny is that I'm going to betray my friend who I'm jealous of, get a life. Like that is no, this is so, that is the biggest no I can imagine. So that is really sad. Um, the other thing that she says that is equally as sad is she says that people remembered her as like a casualty of pretty privilege and a spokesperson for nebbishy friends anywhere. Another massive, massive no. I think... And this actually is something I would agree with Tink on, Tink's on is that just change your perspective. Actually, change your perspective and change yourself. If you have a feeling that you are a casualty of pretty privilege and a spokesperson for nebbishy friends anywhere, that is, these are things within your control and you have to, <laughs> you've got to figure that out because that is not a way that you want to be remembered. More importantly, it's not a way that you want to remember yourself. So like, no. Also, that just made me think, don't you think nebbish is kind of onomatopoetic? Like, you know what I mean? Like, nebbish sounds like nebbish looks. <laughs> it's like, tiny nebbish, gross. Um, I guess the last thing that I will say really quickly is on the subject of Caroline Calloway and her and her writing and her wanting to be taken seriously uh, for her craft and people holding out for this, this um, final decision on the strength of her craft. I guess I, I've noticed on Twitter, like several people, like blue check and not, um, kind of referencing scrambling to get their hands on scammer. And I guess I was thinking like, okay, why? Like if it doesn't feel like organically interesting or compelling anymore, there definitely is publicity and media play left to be had. So maybe it's just that, but I do feel like there is a kind of weird hunger for this like final answer on Caroline Calloway like I'm, I'm not even really interested in like whether or not she's swindling people like and I'm not really interested on the like moral judgment of that potential swindle I'm kind of like she just seems like someone who's spiraling out and has been grasping in terms of her writing and the craft I feel like 
whether or not she proves herself as a master of her craft is actually less urgent to anyone than proving herself as a character with lasting power. Like I think, I think Caroline Calloway as a concept has moved so far beyond her potential as an author that like, that is such a small part of like who she is as an idea and such a small part of what she has devoted her life to. So I really think that um, the adjudication is more around her ability to create a character that people have reactions to rather than rather than her book. Um, so her book and Natalie's book, I guess these are like the formal grounds meriting criticism. Um, and they, they kind of act as like vehicles for larger essays about them, right? And which makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because I do feel like people are kind of like desperate to mine this space. Um, and they feel like they can mine more value out, out of it. Um, but, you know, honestly, like worse than Caroline Calloway having nothing new to report would be like these writers having nothing new to report. Well, that's really all that I had. Um, I want to know what you guys think about Caroline Calloway. And I want, it's like, it actually is this kind of like weird nostalgic moment that she's coming back into the news cycle because it has been like quite some time. (laughs) Like it has been, it will be four years this year that the Natalie essay came out. And, um, I want, I want to know what you guys think about her. Um, and I want to know if, if, and if so, what you saw of yourself in Caroline. Um, yeah. Um, oh, wait, wait, one other, one other tiny thing is that, um, in Lily's piece, and I think it's in like the opening paragraph, she says like, Caroline's hair is brown, but it gives the impression of fairness or something to that extent. Wait, let me see if I can just pull it up. I have this essay open. Um, Uh, This is how she describes her. She's 31, but looks like a girl, like Alice in Wonderland. Small and slender with smooth, honey-hued skin, a precisely molded forehead, chin, and mouth, clear, large eyes. She has an armful of cat, stuffed, I think at first, only realizing my arrow when it slow blinks at me before turning away in feline disdain. A ribbon ties back her long hair, brown, though somehow not, somehow giving the impression of fairness, blondness. Well, first of all, that's so true. Aren't there so many people that you know that like literally have brown hair, but they just give the effect of blondness. So see, blondness is, is, uh, or it's, it's richer in concept than people want to, you know, it gets reduced, but, uh, it's right for analysis. And luckily there's, there's more blondness discourse coming down the line with Stargirl. So we'll get even deeper and deeper, but yeah, chew on that. Um, okay, I gotta go, but thank you guys for listening. I'm so happy to be back and we are back in full swing. I'm like so excited about all of the upcoming episodes and um, yeah, just so excited to get back in touch with you all and to uh, keep it going. Yeah, well, I'm gonna go to the beach and lay in the sun all day and I hope you guys have a wonderful week and I will see you next time. All right, bye. Oh.